and, uh, and, and enjoying this world. Sometimes when, when people speak a lot about heaven or eternal life, there's a phrase in English that says, oh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You know, brothers and sisters, that's not in the Bible. Actually, when we are heavenly minded, we are more earthly good. That's because we're building for eternity. We have an eternal point of view, view of life. And Jesus encouraged us to be like that. Many times he, he exhorted his disciples and said, make sure you're building up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Colossians chapter 3. I'll get here in just a sec. Uh, it says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth or their own earth. Actually, there are over 500 references to heaven in the Bible. So there is a lot to learn. We may not understand everything. We may still have a lot of questions, but there is a lot that we can say. So today's kind of an introduction. Um, let me just kind of talk a few minutes about how has the church viewed eternal life in heaven throughout the centuries? There have been periods all the way through church history when Christians have talked and they taught a lot about heaven. The early church is a good example. There was intense interest in talking about heaven. Of course, that was a time of persecution. It was a time of a lot of martyrs. Cyprian, who is one of the um, early church fathers in the uh, mid-200s, he wrote a lot about martyrdom and persecution and heaven. And he, he started referring to heaven as our real home. He says, right here isn't our real home. Our real home is where we're going to spend eternity. We're just passing through here. Throughout history, there have been times of war, economic difficulties, plagues, pandemics, where the interest in heaven has just kind of shot up. Everyone wants to know. In the Middle Ages, when um, the life expectancy was 30 years old, 33, 34 years old, a lot of people, and people were dying all the time. Of course, there's also the time of the Black Plague. There's a lot of interest and talk about heaven. Now, sometimes a lot of it was superstitious, but there's an interest in heaven. In early America, among the slave populations, especially in the South, if you go back, you see that almost all their songs that they wrote, we call them, uh, you know, the spirituals. And, uh, you know, and, um, you know, they were about heaven, you know, when they kind of go to the next life. That's because this life here is really bad for them, right? The persecuted church today, and really throughout all of history, throughout the centuries, 
their views and understanding of heaven is what kind of kept them going. On the other hand, when there have been times of peace and prosperity, guess what? People don't tend to think about the next age that much. They're too preoccupied with things here. Now, this study, I'm going to draw mainly from the scriptures. However, there are people throughout church history who've written a lot on heaven. They've got a, a lot of good stories and examples and I'm going to kind of draw from some of those. Augustine, early church father, he wrote the book City of God, which is a lot of it takes place after people die. John Bunyan. By the way, what famous book did John Bunyan write? Anyone know? Pilgrim's Progress. And of course, even in that story, there's a lot. Jonathan Edwards. He was a, um, um, lived in the mid-1700s in New England. He was one of the ones that was most involved in the first great awakening that happened in America. And some of you know this, but I was a history major in university. And my favorite professor was not a Christian. In fact, he didn't even claim to be a Christian. However, he said that the person who influenced American history more than any other person was Jonathan Edwards. And he wrote a lot. And a lot of it was about heaven. C.S. Lewis. What is C.S. Lewis known for? That's right. The Chronicles of Narnia. That's right. Well, C.S. Lewis, before he was a Christian, and he was, uh, you know, growing up, he said, whenever I think of heaven, all I could get, he was very imaginative, of course. He said, all I could think of was like a big sea of tapioca pudding, kind of bland, boring, you know, not interesting. And also, he didn't like it, you know, that type of pudding. However, once he became a Christian, a lot of his books and even the Chronicles of Narnia, they've got a lot of pictures of pretty accurate things about heaven. Actually, one thing that C.S. Lewis said, he gave this example. He said, we don't have any idea how great heaven's going to be. He said, it's like a pregnant woman being thrown into a dungeon when she was still expecting a child. And then she had the child, I think it was a son, and he grew up with her in this dungeon. Hardly saw any light, never saw a tree, never saw a flower, never saw uh, grass or animals or dogs or anything. And she would, she would draw pictures of him uh, for him of what the world outside, like she'd draw a picture with pencil and paper of trees. And when he finally got out and saw it, he said, Mom, I thought that when we got out, I would see everything in pencil drawing, you know. Had no idea that it was so colorful. He had nothing to judge it by. And C.S. Lewis says, that's kind of the way heaven's going to be for us. We have glimpses of it in heaven. We know it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. But we have no idea what it's really going to be like. So I'm going to kind of give some illustrations like that.
other people who have talked a lot about heaven. Billy Graham. He wrote a book about heaven. He wrote one about angels. Randy Alcorn. He's written a whole lot about it. And I'm going to probably use some of his illustrations and stories. But most important, what? We're going to look at the scriptures, right? I mean, and, uh, and the scriptures are loaded. Like I said, over 500 references to heaven and many passages, many stories, many parables talk about heaven and what's coming next. Maybe we should say this too. It's kind of surprising that there's also some very influential Christian writers who've written a lot who have surprisingly said hardly anything about heaven. John Calvin, Martin Lloyd-Jones, probably between them, they've got two pages out of thousands of things that they've written. Kind of surprising in some ways. And you might say, how can that be? Especially today, a lack of teaching and understanding concerning heaven and eternal life is actually rather glaring and points again to this obsession, obsession of the world that a lot of us have. It's a shallow Christianity. No wonder so many people feel like, I don't have time for that. There's too many things I can enjoy here because they don't understand. Let me take this a step further. Such ignorance and disinterest in the topic of heaven has left us unprepared for the events and pressures and difficulties that are going to be coming upon us in the last days. So I feel like it's very important that we learn. Actually, I'm kind of convinced that there's a spiritual dimension to this, like a demonic, spiritual. Look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 6. I think it's up here. It's talking about the beast at the very end and the dragon, Satan, the Antichrist. And it says, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. He's talking about blaspheming against God, his name, and heaven and everyone that's in it. That is one of the things that Satan wants to do. He wants to kind of keep a disinterest. And we're going to see why. So we're going to go to the scriptures for a biblical understanding of what comes next. And that's our source. This series is not going to be talking about, I mean, we may mention it, but we're not going to be talking much about the last days of this earth. You know, it's going to be boring compared to what's afterwards. Okay. We're going to look at what happens after Jesus comes back. We're going to look at what happens after death. We want to make sure we understand what heaven is and what it's going to be like. We're also going to look at the topics of suffering. And we're also probably going to talk a little bit about hell, too, because they're kind of tied into this. Of course, we don't know all the details. And I'm, I can almost promise you I'm going to get questions. Well, Mike, what age will we be when we are in heaven? Am I going to look young? 
Am I going to be a child? Am, we don't have the answers to a lot of those questions. But we do know a lot of answers, okay? And I think we're going to have enough answers that we'll be excited. We're also going to dispel a lot of false ideas about heaven. A lot of times when people think of heaven, they think of some dreamy spirit world where everyone's kind of floating around through the clouds, maybe playing harps, angels floating around occasionally. It kind of makes me sleepy just thinking about it. <laughs> you know? Some people think it's going to be one continual, unending church service that goes on and on and on and on. It's going to get boring after a while. Actually, uh, uh, this one is from the Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, they're all old people. They're all white. There are uh, no women. But anyway, that's not accurate either, of course. You know. Most people get their ideas about heaven and hell from movies, television, maybe even video games. Certainly not the scriptures. We're going to be different. You know, we're going to see things are a lot different. And because they've got these distorted ideas, most people don't really desire to go to heaven. In fact, even if we're honest, some of us kind of dread it. That's because people, including Christians, haven't been taught what heaven's going to be like. Okay, just a couple passages just to introduce us. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus is the night after the Lord's Supper. He's talking to his disciples. He's going to leave them. And he says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So he says he's going to be coming back. He's preparing a place for us right now. By the way, it's a physical place, not something kind of, you know, like ghost or something. Uh, actually, that Greek word where it says dwelling place, it literally means something like a house, a, an actual lo location. Heaven's a real place. It's not just some spirit world. We're going to have real bodies. We're going to have a real place to live. There's going to be things to do, responsibilities, and we're going to examine some of this in the weeks to come. Jesus is preparing a place for us. We ought to be excited by that. I mean, it's been 2,000 years. It must be a real beautiful place the way he's preparing this. You know, I mean, God created the world in seven days. And look, it's taken 2,000 years. I'm sure a lot of it's already prepared. But, you know, before I go to a new place, if I'm going to a new city or especially a new country, I start Googling. I read everything about it. I know about the food. I know about the history. I know about the customs. I try, I try to say a few words about it. I want to, I want to look at pictures. 
Because I'm going there to visit. When I was, a when I was 15 years old, my dad came home and had news for the family. We were moving. He was being assigned. He was in the army to Taiwan in the Orient. Tell you the truth, even though I was 15, I wasn't even sure where Taiwan was. But you better believe I found out. And by way of coincidence, that month, National Geographic came out and their cover story was on Taiwan. I read that thing. I could still tell you where different pictures are years later, over 50 years later. I knew I wanted to know. I went to the library. I kind of I, I want to know everything about Taiwan because I wasn't just going to visit there. I was going to live there. Well, you're moving to to a permanent place. Permanent as in eternity. Don't you want to know something about it? Of course you do. If you start thinking about it that way. Yeah. This life represents only a very short time of your existence. Eternity is a lot greater. We've given this example before. I'll give it again. If there's a line between that wall and this wall and we are a our whole life is like a dot on this. Even that's not really accurate because you could take that line all the way to Breckenridge. No, all the way to Fairplay, all the way to Mexico City, Buenos Aires. And we're still just a dot. Actually, all of human history is just a dot compared to there. I saw someone put on Facebook yesterday. It's actually someone who lives in France. Uh, and they were talking about this and they said, a, our life is less than a blink of an eye compared to eternity. Now, I see several people kind of blinking right now. Go ahead, blink, blink. See how short it is. I see you doing it. Okay. We've already, we've already had about 500 lives, you know, in those few seconds there. It's short. But eternity is not short. It's eternity. Psalm 39. Verse 4. Lord, make me know my end. And what is the extent of my days here on this earth? Let me know how transient I am. Because sometimes we think we're going to live forever, don't we? Behold, you have made my breath as hand breaths. It's getting colder now. You know how, what a hand breath is. You see your little breath. You know, uh, that's how my days are. And my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely man at his best is a mere breath. You've already done it since I've read the verse. Surely every man walks around as a fandom. <laughs> Surely they have made an uproar for nothing. I like that. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. You know, we make a big to-do about this earth. Oh, yeah, I've got this on my bucket list, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and here and that, and oh, and I'm going to buy this, and I'm going to buy that, and I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to accumulate riches. You know, it's, it's kind of a, what's all the uproar about? You know, it's, you know, really, we need to pray and, 
ask the Lord, Lord, show us how transient our life is. There's not much down here of lasting value unless we are engaged in God's business. I mean, read the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, we'll probably refer to it. All is vanity. All is futility. Isaiah 40. 40, 40. Uh, verse 6 and 7. And maybe 8. A voice calls out. And he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is, all flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. Actually, we see that. It's October, almost November. What happened to all the flowers? What happened to all the grass? It's all faded. Another week or so, it's going to be all covered up. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We are so temporary. But that's not bad. That should not be depressing news. That should be good news that it's short. Because it just means we get to our real life, or as Cyprian says, we get to our home a lot quicker to what we've been destined for. So that's what I want us to get out of this series. And once we get this, it's going to start affecting how we live here. One other verse, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 will start. Paul saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Let me say, for that is very much better. But Paul said, I still think there's some work I have to do here for your sake. And that's really the way we need to start viewing our life. It's going to be better the faster we go. But for the sake of so many people here who do not know the gift of eternal life, we choose to stay here. Sometimes we've got that backwards. We kind of think in terms of, yeah, I'd rather be here, but if I have to die, I know I'll go to heaven. No, we got it backwards. We've got a lot to learn, a lot to study. My prayer is that this series is going to be life-changing for us. Here's some of my things that I'm praying. I'm going to put it right up here. We will not be afraid of death anymore. We won't dread it. Hebrews 2.15 talks about and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Fear of death. God wants us to get rid of that. Second, we're actually going to look forward and anticipate our next life. Third thing I think we're going to kind of come away with, we're going to change the way we live here. We will begin to store up treasure in heaven and not be so obsessed with the things of this world. And then finally, 
I really believe our love for Christ is going to grow. It's going to increase as we begin to have an eternal view of our lives. That's my prayer. I want that to be your prayer. Why don't we pray that now? Father, we want to thank you that your word is not silent about what's, what's after death, what happens after you come back. I know, Lord, we get so obsessed with things here, we, we don't even think about it. But, Lord, we ask that you would change that. Lord, we ask that you take us to the place that none of us will ever be afraid of death or dread death anymore. Lord, we pray that we will look forward to and anticipate the next life. Lord, we pray that we'll change the way that we live here, that we'll start storing up treasure in heaven and that we wouldn't be obsessed with the things of this world. And finally, Lord, we expect that our love for you is going to grow and grow and grow as we take on this eternal point of view. Lord, that's our prayer for these next weeks. Lord, do a great work inside of us. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I hope you're excited about this. I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm kind of like Paul. I don't believe that God's preparing me right now to leave. But if he were, my attitude should be Praise the Lord. And I think that's the way all of us should be seeing it. And really see, wait a minute. God's got a lot for us to do. Okay? Amen. Okay. Judy?